0: listening to Militantly Mixed. Main Hustle Media podcasts are recorded on the ancestral lands of the Chumash, Tongva, Karankwa, and Hohokam people. And I wish to pay my respects to the people of those nations, both past and present. Koniji, what's up cousins? Welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your Sir Auntie, Charmaine Fury, a.k.a. The Blasian Blurred. And this is episode 195, and I have a wonderful guest today. My guest today is Siobhan Diores, a birth worker and a person of Filipino, Irish, and recently learned Basque heritage. We had such a good conversation. I was, I was so appreciative of the time I got to spend with Siobhan for this discussion, so I cannot wait for y'all to hear this episode. But I have a few announcements I need to get through. In this intro, I want to try to get through it as cleanly as possible, but you know how hard it is for me to keep it tight. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to try to keep it tight. But I'm really looking forward to sharing this episode that you're about to hear with myself and Siobhan here shortly. (sighs) Where to begin? Well, first thing out the gate, the big announcement. You may have noticed, if you are listening to this on Tuesday, January 17th, and you are a subscriber of Militantly Mixed on whichever podcasting platform you listen on, that there was a previous download today to this download of this episode. And that was the special announcement of the co-project, the joint project between Militantly Mixed and the Mixante Confidential, myself, Charmaine Fury, and Teresa Stovall. We are partnering on a what we hope to be an annual project of a Be Your Mixed-Ass Self anthology, and we are seeking submissions for our very first volume to be published here in 2023. This is a, I wanna say labor of love, even though we haven't started doing a whole lot of labor on it yet, project, because it's something that I have been wanting to do related to the show pretty much the whole time. Uh, Teresa herself is a journalist and an author. She has submitted to many anthologies. She has also edited many anthologies. We've been working together so much in this kind of co militantly mix and mixante confidential crossover through uh, her blog and my show that we just thought it didn't make sense for us to do it apart. We needed to do it together. So. We started out our announcement earlier today with uh, Attention Mixed Writers. We want to hear your stories. So if you are listening to this show, if you have been listening to the show for a while, if you're new here, but you would like to share your story about being your mixed-ass self and whatever that means for you, we are seeking entries for nonfiction, essays, and poetry by March 15th. That is the deadline for entry. To learn more about this, you can go to militantlymixed.com slash bymassanthology, and that's B-Y-M-A-S, which is short, obviously, for Be Your mix As so. Or you can just go to militantlymixed.com and click on the anthology tab, and you'll see all of the guidelines for submission there. There is an entry fee, $15 per entry, and you can enter up to three pieces to be considered. We are going to be co-editing this anthology myself and auntie teresa first things first we need y'all to get writing you do not have to be a professional writer we just need you to submit something that was previously unpublished and that means unpublished in a book another anthology the webs anything previously unpublished work submitted to this anthology with the theme or idea of you being your mixed-ass self I am so excited and so looking forward to the entries that we are going to be getting. And I just cannot wait to be able to put this book together with y'all. That is announcement number one. We talked about it already on the previous little download, but please go and check that out if you haven't heard it yet and check out the website so you can learn how to how to submit. All right. Announcement number two is I was recently a guest on a couple of different podcasts, but one in particular in which I I actually do talk more about mixed identity. And that was I was a guest um, last week on the Auth Ethnic podcast. So funny enough, it just timed out this way. I recorded this back in November, I think, with uh, Jen Lee and uh, Yansu Kang, who are the co-hosts of the Ethnic Podcast. Jen Lee was also a guest of Militantly Mixed a couple years ago on the Chicanese episode. So we recorded this in November in preparation for the release of their third season. Third season dropped a a couple weeks ago, and my episode just timed out to drop last week. After I had also just announced that Jen Lee and I were taking on the co-leadership role of the Mixed Queer Caucus for the Critical Mixed Race Studies, CMRS organization. It just timed out that all this was happening at the same time. Uh, So I'm going to put a link in the show notes so you can check out that episode. We are talking mostly about mixed Asian identity because it is an Asian American podcast and and Jen Lee and I are both mixed Asians. Asian Americans. Um, it was a really good discussion. And uh, we do talk about a number of different things that I think I would love to hear what people thought about. So go ahead and check that out. I'll put the link in the show notes so that you can you can get to that episode if you'd like. I was also recently a guest on a, a show called Color of Motion. That was more on the nerdy side of things. I talk a lot about my time working with the, the, the comic book shop. I talk about, you know, moderating... you know moderating panels at comic cons cosplay comic books things like that um that show again is called color of motion it is on youtube and the host is don terrell we were both on a panel together at comic palooza earlier last year and got to chit chat and decided you know there was something there we should get together on um don's podcast and uh and so yeah that aired on Saturday, the 7th or something like that. Uh, so you can check that out. It is still available on YouTube. If you just go to Color of Motion or if you type in Charmaine Fury, I'm sure it'll it'll pop up if you want to check that out. Um, so it's two, two guest spots that I did in recent times. That is the Auth Ethnic Podcast and Color of Motion. At the start of the year, I had mentioned that I was gonna be taking on this co-leadership role with Jen Lee for the Mixed Queer Caucus for CMRS and uh, we were just waiting for our directives and the the information that we needed to start outreaching to gain a listserv so that we can start putting together membership for Mixed Queer Caucus and also future events. Uh, we have had our directives meeting uh, and then Jen and I still have a planning meeting to do, but I'm really excited about what we are going to be able to do in creating this mixed queer space um, for fellowship, for conversation, for education, and different events. So keep on it. I have already heard back from some of y'all who heard that episode and reached out and said you'd be interested in hearing more about it when the time comes. You're on a little email list, a little, you know, list for me at the moment. As soon as Jen and I finalize the um, how to join the membership and everything like that, and release a little bit more news about it. I will definitely just be pushing out an email to those of you who have already emailed me so far. Um, But if you're hearing this for the first time, you're like, "What is that?" You can either go back to the first episode of the New Year or just wait it out because in a week or two, I'll probably going to have more information that I'll be able to talk about. uh, If you would like to join the Mixed Queer Caucus for the CMRS, Critical Mixed Race Studies Organization, in which I'm gonna end up talking a lot about here on Militantly Mixed because I'm the co-lead. So, boom. And I think lastly, I think lastly, um, I am 70 days away. Well, by the time this episode airs, I'll be 65 days away from my move to Mérida, Mexico. And just over the last couple of days, I've suddenly Become a little frantic, <laughs> uh, where it's like actually the reality has set in. I have been counting down the days for this move and posting about this on my queer and far um, social media for that that platform um, that podcast. A uh, hundred days out, and for some reason it finally hit like, oh my gosh, there's only a couple months left until I leave. And while I have been focusing and so excited about the actual move, what I haven't been paying attention to. Was that I'm actually leaving the United States, uh, the country of birth, the you know the place I have been living, I suppose, in comfort my whole life, uh, and that soon that safety net of your you know born country is going to be gone. Um, that finally hit me. I don't know why it's taken me so long, but it finally occurred to me I'm going to be living in a place that is not the country that I was born in, which feels a lot different than moving from a state that I wasn't born in. Um, so I'm, I'm a little freaking out now. I'm excited. I'm nervous. Uh, but I am freaking out a little bit. And I am in crazy packing, throwing away, donating kind of mode. But I, I'm, I'm letting y'all know this because it is still my intention to still release episodes of Militantly Mixed on time. That's why I recorded everything in December and early January so that I can get them all edited. And the only thing that I should have to do every week is record a new intro um, for, for that week. And even though last week I did release in the Mixante Confidential episode a day late, that didn't have anything to do with the move that had something to do with how busy I was on the weekend. So I had scheduled the Monday before release to be my editing day or my recording day to be my finish up editing day. And I got the COVID booster, my fifth shot, and it laid me out. <laughs> so I wasn't able to get my work done. On time, and then Tuesday I continued to be pretty washed out, uh, so I didn't actually get the episode up until Wednesday. That is not something that I expect to happen between now and my move, because I have everything mostly planned out. Um, getting the shot when I got was unexpected, and so that's why it derailed that. But I don't perceive this move derailing my episodes of militantly Mix in the way that my move to Houston did, because I'm I'm way more organized. About this move, even though I feel completely chaotic about how much stuff I still need to pack and get rid of, um, so wish me luck, y'all. If you have any tips about moving to another country, definitely share them with me because I'm I'm that's the thing I'm doing too. I'm reaching out to people, I'm researching, and all this other kind of stuff. But sometimes it's that personal story that is really helpful. So if you have lived abroad, moved abroad at some point, and you have any tips that you would like to share to help reduce the stress that comes along with, oh my gosh, in just 65 days, I'm no longer going to be living in my home country anymore, uh, holla at main? I'd love to hear them. Uh, And maybe there's some kind of thing that I can share on my other podcast, Queer and Far, to discuss it. (sighs) That's it, y'all. Let's get into today's episode. My guest today is Siobhan Diorez. We had a really wonderful conversation talking about the importance of representation within birth work, how sometimes the personal is political and how sometimes the political is inserted into your work and all kinds of things. It was such a wonderful conversation. I'm so glad to be sharing this with y'all. So please check the show notes so that you can follow Siobhan uh, if you would like to learn more about um, her business as a birth worker or you know, birth, birth work in general, I guess. Uh, but without further ado, please join me in welcoming our latest cousin to the Mix family, Siobhan Dioris. Today, I am joined by Siobhan Diores. Siobhan, why don't you introduce yourself and uh, let's get into it.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me on, Charmaine. My name is Siobhan Dioris. I use she or they pronouns, and I am joining from Ohlone Lamb, better known as San Francisco, California, where I am born, raised, rooted. Um, I am a mother of one, a birth worker, a reproductive justice educator, and... I'm here because I'm also Filipino and Irish along well I'll go into that but my mom is from the southern Philippines my dad uh was adopted by an Irish family in San Francisco so I'm Sixth generation San Franciscan, um, but a few years ago we found out that he's actually also Basque. So I'm working that into Mm. my identity and getting in touch with that. So Filipino and Irish, I mostly say, but there's there's a little more in that European side that I'm still unpacking.
0: So your father... Is he also ethnically Irish beyond being adopted into an Irish? Yeah, yeah. So his
1: mom was Irish and she got pregnant in the 60s before you could be a single mom Mm. and found an Irish family through the church. Um, And then so Mm. we always I guess that's how the adoptions were done a lot those days is like through the Catholic church. Um, so he grew up with this Irish family that was our whole I mean my name's Siobhan so I'm like (laughs) later finding out from the ancestry oh I'm only like less than a quarter ethnically Irish I'm a fraud (laughs) over here with my name Um, but yes his mother was Irish okay
0: and then as you've learned about the Basques uh, well before you get too worried (laughs) about incorporating even if you want to Is this Ancestry.com or 23andMe?
1: It was Ancestry, but the Basque... The ancestry was like a whole mix, like Mm -hmm. Irish, Scottish, Italian, all these things. But the Basque part actually came from reuniting with his biological father. Yeah, yeah. So it turns out they're from Idaho, not as cool as San Francisco, as we've Mm -hmm. always identified. But that's where his biological parents were. Um, And I guess there's a big Basque American Mm -hmm. community in Boise, Idaho, apparently.
0: Of all places that people news to in, me, so. <laughs> but his
1: father was yeah. They're really proud of that Basque identity.
0: So what I what I would say though, okay, so now you have you know that, and you can start to explore it. in terms of the Irish, like the way like the Anglo is just kind of splashed around all of ancestry. Ancestry doesn't hold a whole lot of mark. They do for European, you know, Europe and Anglo. So if if they have it, they there's enough evidence for it, um, but they don't hold a whole lot of markers for outside of Europe. So, like, you might get, you know, the Iberian Peninsula one day and then it'll be gone. And then, or it'll come back, you know, like they reset their. Totally. Their I had it, now.
1: I think we first joined it like maybe 2016. And so I get the updates that's like every year or two, they're like, it's been updated. And <laughs> it shifts. It stayed pretty consistent. I mean, mm-hmm. it's definitely still like 50% Asian, 50% white, but definitely the regions kind of shift around. Shift,
0: yeah. Yeah, that's happened to me a lot. I've had Scandinavian taken away, given, taken away, given. <laughs> um, and in my case, I just kind of, at that point, go with what cultures my family held. Like, my, my British side was a mix of Welsh and English and, um, and Spanish from way, way back, but not enough for us to know it, just enough for us to have black hair, I guess. And um, on my mother's white side, they've been here in the States since 1711, and so they were Appalachian people, Which Mm -hmm. everybody assumed is Scots-Irish, but in our case was like, um, or German-Irish is what they thought. In our case, they're actually Scottish and a little bit Irish, you know, in terms of DNA and stuff like that. So um, I, but with the black side, I don't pay attention to what they update.
1: Yeah. Because
0: they just don't have enough stuff
1: yeah Um, my husband is half uh his dad is jamaican so mm -hmm. it's shifted around a lot of like afro-jamaican to now they're kind of getting more i guess data there but it's still like the africa part has been like yeah shifting all over the place all these little percentages
0: that we descend from the bantu people and the bantu people went from kenya to south africa to up the western coast and so yeah we're probably a mix of all these places but The countries didn't even exist when those migrations were having, you know, happening. So to say that I'm Nigerian, if probably not, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I did African Ancestry, which is a different company, and they actually they have more markers for the actual continent. So I was able to get down to the three tribes in the current what's currently known as Gabon um, that my paternal, my father's paternal side has. We still haven't done the mother, the father's maternal side part, or my grandfather's maternal side. Um, We still haven't done that part yet, but you know.
1: Good to know that they're coming out with different things, although I know it's still a question of what people are doing with all that yeah, data, yeah. but you know. It
0: becomes a thing. I, I get why people are cautious of, of spitting in the I'm like, the, If they want
1: my me, they already got me already in every me, facet. My, phone, my face, my,
0: you know, like all that stuff. Um, the thing, the reason why I, I did it is because I wanted to see if I have siblings that my dad didn't talk about.
1: <laughs> mm.
0: I'm Interesting. fully, fully waiting to find trophies in the world. Um, that's what I refer to them as the secret wow. siblings. Uh, so I, I think, I believe that there are more out there than just me and my brother and my half siblings. But I'm sure that there's, that's why I did it. Like legit, that's the reason why I did it. I wanted to see the jo- drama
1: Well, interesting because my dad did it the first time, not with that intention, even though he knew he was adopted. He just wanted to know the Mm -hmm. ethnic makeup, and that is how he got reunited with his biological family, was that someone messaged him on Facebook and was like, I was on my ancestry, and it says we're cousins, and I never heard of you, world shattering, your uncle had an affair. (laughs) Yeah,
0: see that's what i'm there for i i i i don't like w- watching like reality tv but when i find out that there's a dna scandal that you f- i live for it i don't know why i, I just do
1: <laughs> i agree i agree that's fun.
0: <laughs> um, but let's get into talking about you a little bit more so i'm a person who loves the hybrid na- terms that we come up with for our mixes and you wrote in your um in your form Panirish.
1: Yeah, pin Irish. So, I like you it? said, you were saying like more about the identity and the culture. That's what I go by. Even though I found out this past stuff, like I was raised by this Irish American, very right. like true to their identity family. So I still am pin Irish. Just short and sweet. I love it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love the hybrid terms that we come up with because it's a it's a way for us to really like we're we're hybrids. Why wouldn't we? want to mix it together. I, I love it. So yeah, like that is, um, I always make jokes of like things are my kinks. This has become a kink for me. If I hear that someone has a hybrid term, I'm like, I need, I need to know your hybrid term because I enjoy it. So- you
1: said it's your kink. Yeah. So
0: like, that, like, like <laughs> yeah, I like to call things that aren't even remotely related to kinks, my kinks. Um, and one of those is, is to, to create a hybrid term because it gives us like a sense of ownership of what it is that we are um you know if if i can maneuver black spaces even presenting the way i do pretty comfortably um i i'm i'm getting more access to maneuver asian american spaces in a way that i didn't used to be able to i have yet to be able to maneuver japanese spaces as an accepted japanese person or japanese mixed person Um, so creating my little hybrid term for me, black and knees was my way as a young person to feel like well, this is my thing. This is what I, this is what I, so I, I do. Mm. I love
1: that. I love that. My nephew, he's, he's 13 and he calls himself black, Pino. I so love black, Pino. Yeah, I yeah. do.
0: I, we have some black Pinos that have been on the show before. That's a good one too. Um, that, I mean, I think, what I love about it in particular is the ownership aspect is that it gives us that room to to stake our claim because as much as I'm love to tell us to, you know, go into the spaces of the people that we come from and be a part of that story, because you know, I am a part of blackness, I am a part of Japanese I'm a part of I, I say Britishness versus like whiteness because my white is British um Mm -hmm. like where my nana lived with me and she was the only white person in my family uh but i know that i can't a hundred percent understand how to maneuver in those spaces and stuff so in in creating those terms i think we create like a freedom um for us to maneuver
1: i agree in those spaces uh, so why, do, why don't we talk a little
0: bit like you you and I talked about how you um, were kind of born in the and raised in the Bay Area, which um, for Asian-Americans, it's a far more common for us to be used to mixed Asians than I think any other parts of the country necessarily. Um, so you said what you were describing, what you were experiencing was like you were far more um, used to mixed folks than say other mixed people that you were encountering later on. Uh, which is very similar to me. I grew up with a lot of, a lot of mixed people too. Did you feel like you had any identity things in terms of understanding who you were when you were
1: kind of, you know? Yeah. So growing up in San Francisco, we, you know, my mom's Filipino, my dad's Irish white, this white dude. And there were in the earlier days as kids, we were the schools we went to were mostly black and latino so we were the only asian kids and the only white kids so Mm. it was just outsider (laughs) and me either way you go no one really cared which way it was like well they look different we don't really know what they are but we never really were excluded in that sense and i think that you know just that identity um In my earlier days before I transferred schools, which was like mid-elementary, then went to a super Chinese, like predominantly Chinese school, Mm. that's the first time where I really felt that because this would probably surprise people but it's the first time we really experienced like prejudice was from the chinese kids calling right. um, calling us slurs for being like not asian yeah. enough like there was yeah. this whole asian pride movement i feel like in the 90s where it was which is like cool you know but it's i think it's always going to be dominant group versus whatever the yeah. minority is so that was the first time i started to think about that stuff Um, was being like oh yeah you're right I am white and Filipinos are also Southeast Asian which are are. looked down on by a lot of East Asians so that kind of came in where it was more like oh you're Filipino versus like you're something different Um, but then I grew up really close with my older sister is full Filipino and she had my niece really young and my niece is Filipino and black. So she was always with us like a little sister and actually having her around was what really exposed us to the first, like real racism was like, Mm. Oh, they're Filipino and they have, you know, Mm. the like, like they, their identifier, black, a Pino girl. Um, So most of our identity stuff came from not fitting in with Asians, even though we're in this like Asian world. Um, For my identity, as far as that went, thankfully, because there were so many of us, I'm one of four, and then plus my niece, we kind of had our own little gang going on that it didn't really matter. And people still thought we were kind of cool because we're like this like close-knit little family Mm. that was kind of like, don't – can you swear on the show? Yeah. (laughs) I was like, don't fuck with us. (laughs) Like, we're not going (laughs) to fuck with them because they roll deep, this little mixed family. Mm -hmm. Um, But – it's still like you were saying was like being around white kids you're there's something different they'll point out that you're Asian being with Asian kids they'll point out that you're white and crack jokes like oh she's our white girl and she's our Asian girl um but because it was so normal I don't think thankfully I really felt much like insecurity Mm. around that there were so many other things to be insecure about i feel like in my life like this is how i see now being mixed was like always being in the in between in between like sizes in between Mm -hmm. all sexualities like that stuff i think gave me more of that versus the racial differences
0: no yeah i can i can see that too um i think the You know, I've said on the show a bunch of times about how um, Asian-American identity is so weird because we don't have like Asian solidarity in Asia. Like, you know, you're East Asian, you're Southeast Asian, you're South Asian. And then amongst the East Asians, none of us get along. And amongst the Southeast Asians, it's a mix of who gets along based off of who occupied them or who colonized them.
1: You know like mm-hmm. so there's all
0: these different divides across across all of Asia, and then you come here where the population just views you all as one thing, and it's usually whatever is the most common Asian group around where they grew up, that's what all Asians are. So if they're only around Chinese, then all Asians are Chinese, no matter what. And the amount of times I've had to answer, "Hey, Charmin, you're Chinese, right?" No, and I've talked about that, you know, like, you know, no, so like- many
1: times. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then, and then the lack of education I think that some of us, as who grow up Asian American, have about the atrocities that were committed in Asia by other Asians, like the Japanese. I roll through Asian American spaces, like, you know, Asian American groups and high school and stuff like that, thinking I'm going to get some Asian solidarity. And when I'm excluded, I'm thinking I'm excluded because I'm mixed. And I didn't understand that in some cases I was being excluded because I was Japanese. And the people that were mostly in these groups were Chinese, um, Korean, Vietnamese, and Filipino groups that Japan had committed atrocities in. And I didn't know that. So I didn't know that that's how I was, that that's what I was doing by entering in those spaces. So I just grew up with this little bit of a you know, Asians don't like me. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in my mind, I'm too black to be Asian, I guess was what I was thinking was happening. And that might've been the case in some places, but I think I was too Japanese to be Asian in a lot of cases. And it wasn't until I got that education that I started realizing that I had to maneuver those spaces a little bit different and acknowledge that like, yeah, I come from the people, I come from the colonizer of Asia or a colonizer of Asia, I guess. Um, and, and that really changed like the way I started to maneuver Asian spaces. The other part is in my Japanese family. I wasn't Japanese because I wasn't born in Japan, but I didn't know that that's what they meant. I thought Mm -hmm. they were saying I was just not Japanese because again, I thought because I was mixed. So it's weird when like. The first time we experience some kind of you're not Asian enough comes from Asians <laughs> because you're just like, What? <laughs> like, uh, how, why? How, why? <laughs> it's so right. um, but you know, I feel like I'm getting better, I'm getting more access and things like that, so I'm starting to understand like how to maneuver in those spaces. But with you, like, because you also have a white parent. Did people get like do people see you as mixed Asian or are you how are you viewed out in the world? What do people ass-
1: It really it's so inconsistent. I think the most common is people think I'm Latina um people usually think i'm mexican being in california that's the most assumed i lived in south florida for a little too where they would just automatically speak spanish because everyone there speaks spanish white black doesn't matter um and when i would say no i don't they'd be like why not your mom didn't teach you and then i would say i'm actually (laughs) filipino and they go don't they speak Spanish?
0: <laughs> <laughs> they got Spanish last names, don't they?
1: <laughs> yeah, they're like, I'm confused. I thought you guys speak Spanish. So it's pretty inconsistent. I would say now, I th- I think as an adult, I get recognized more as being Filipino or mixed of some sort. As a kid, maybe because I was around so many Asians, it was more obvious that I was white. Mm-hmm. Um, I really look like both of my parents. It's funny because I have like the face of my mom, but people place me more as looking at my dad because I have like a tall, broader body. Um, he kind of has this like round nose and smaller eyes mm-hmm. despite him not being Asian. Um, and so people would usually be like oh you look like your dad you're white and then Filipinos a lot of times would be curious and ask because and we'll probably get into this of just like the kind of fetishization of Mm. being mixed with white that's like aspirational so I think Filipinos could recognize it in a way that was kind of like ooh, like, yeah. you're Mestisa, like, oh, you're mixed, like, you're so beautiful, like, it's immediately this kind of, like, you're not like us, but you are one of us, and you're like one of us, it's kind of weird, like. It's almost we- like you
0: you give them hope for, and I hate that I'm saying these words, but, like, you give them hope for an embetterment of the race, because now so true. people are included. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I that is actually a huge topic that I think um, like the white Asian mixes in particular experience, this. So I come from a military family. So I have American um, Air Force soldiers, I guess that that left the country to serve in other countries and then found their wives and brought them here. Mm-hmm. So in my case, I have this very strong stigma of white men in military who go and find yellow brides like it's in my family and multiple members of my family have done this. Uh, and so I when I hear the white Asian mix and the, the man is white, I instantly go like military because I think about, you know, all the imperialism and stuff and it it, yeah, I, I still got shit to work out like with my family about that
1: totally but what and I- I'll be roasting Asians for that reason I am I am yeah. a big fan of Asian humor online that like comes for the white Asian <laughs> stereotypes and experiences and I will preface that that was not my parents situation right. um they have like a like they actually like fell in love at the mm-hmm. same age when my mom came to the US but I noticed that and it's so because it makes my what, skin crawl sometimes. What I but.
0: didn't know until doing this show, like, legit, did not know because I had such a strong focus on the ew, white soldiers going to yellow countries type of thing. And what happened to my grandma when she got here, like, what the military made her do. So that was all my focus. I was completely closed minded to any other story. But then I started hearing on this show the mixed white Asians talking about how their Asian parents were fetishizing the white. Like that, it didn't matter what white person they found, as long as they found a white person that they could have babies with, and that shit just like blew open a whole different. Like I haven't processed fully, even in four years, I have not processed fully the idea of the re- the reverse of what I find as a problematic, <laughs> you know, fetishization. Yeah.
1: And I think it is, it's kind of like a symbiotic thing that was like psychological by those things happening, Mm -hmm. like, you know, soldiers going out there, then in a fucked up way, I think, like, just speaking for myself, I guess that a lot of these women in the Philippines saw like, from the outside looking in, oh, well, that's not so bad. They got rescued from here, you know, not having the political analysis that that's what was causing the need to be rescued and taken out of the situation. But that's what I've seen in my family was like, well, things are so messed up here. So we want a white guy to take us out. We would love to be taken to the U.S. Mm. And then that's why coming here, I think, that I totally see that, that it then like, it's like the whole history of it got forgotten and all that was taken away was like white aspirational, find yeah. a white husband, great, yeah. goals.
0: Goals, yeah. No, I think it's an important conversation for, for us to have in the mixed Asian community, especially where where white is a part of it. The flip of, like in my case, because black is my dominant like ethnic identity or cultural identity. I don't view myself in Waysian terms the way that I view myself in Blasian terms, you know, like mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. Um, I move more in black spaces than than I do in white spaces. And of course, never being able to be seen as a white person, whereas a lot of Waysians that I speak to on this show get misidentified as white. Even if they or or told that they're white passing, which is not the correct use of the term but they're told they're white passing they believe they're white passing and i'm looking at someone that looks clearly like a mixed asian like when they Yeah, the I think show.
1: we recognize each other. And then mm-hmm. a lot of times people, yeah, I say white perceived because I know the white passing right. is like so misused. <laughs> so misused um, yeah. I'll say white perceived. And because I like that, that I'm like, your perception is not really my responsibility. It's not anything right. I'm trying to do. Um, but definitely, I would say. It's a mixed bag, but white Mm -hmm. perceived, but I would say non-white people are easily, like, can tell, like, oh yeah, you're you're something.
0: (laughs) And even if they don't know what it is, because that's also the difference between me answering the question, what are you, or a version of that question, which is what I say on the show a lot, is that Black people say, what are you mixed with? Identifying, I can tell that you're Black, but what's the other part? With Asians, I don't really get that. I will get a closer thing to what white people do, which is the where are you from or what are you. They'll get like... You're not, I can't tell where you are. You know, like, you they don't like, even want to like,
1: complete the question, yeah. they're just gonna give like a uh, until you offer until the information, you offer
0: it. right? Exactly, exactly. Whereas, like, uh, Latino people will just be straight up like Dominican, no, Puerto Rican, no, Cuban, no, and you're just sitting there like, okay, I'll just tell you. I'm Black Japanese, and they'll be like, "You're incorrect. You are obviously Dominican. You know why don't you speak?" No, Spanish? you're
1: not. <laughs>
0: so, like in brown
1: people, that's totally how being in South Florida was. They're like, <laughs> "No, you're Spanish. You're obviously." I'm like, "I'm definitely, definitely Spanish not private.
0: Spanish." <laughs> 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 they, but they want to own you, which I appreciate. Sometimes it's super aggressive in a way of just like you don't appreciate the people that you come from, and so I'm going to force you to appreciate the Dominican people. And so I appreciate that they want me, um, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, it's just like, no, this is is what I am. Whereas white people are the only people that will directly say, like, no, I need to understand how to other you or exoticize you with the way that they ask the questions. And then Asians have the really dismissal, like you said, just "Ah, mm, something, you know, please tell me so I don't have to say it out loud type of thing.
1: Yeah, I've always found that it's other people seeking. They need the box to make them feel comfortable and how to proceed. Um, Whereas, like I said, and I I totally get this is not the popular experience. It just really wasn't a big deal to me growing up because of what I saw. And I I am unpacking a lot more later because I also am like, okay, well, I also was made to believe it wasn't a big deal. And a lot of things like colorblindness was kind of the... The way that my family went about it, um, so I'm unpacking it now. But growing up, I would just be like, "Why do you care?" Like, yeah. you know, like very. I was very rebellious of so just like, I'm not, or like fucking with people. Like, I'm not even going to answer just yeah. to like be annoying.
0: <laughs> That's probably great. I'm a human. Did that though, <laughs> like that it, it probably gave you a little bit of an armor against like yeah. when you were being actively othered um, to be able to do. Totally,
1: everything. it was I mean, it was a power move.
0: Even if you have shit to unpack about that now, I still feel like that was probably the healthiest way you could have (laughs) maneuvered at that age for for that. Um, How do you move now? Like, Do you feel a a separation from how you identified before or does it feel pretty seamless into your adulthood?
1: Yeah, now, I mean, in general, I reject the term white because I just am rejecting whiteness and as a whole sure. um, which my dad I think was always like we're Irish we're not white but his reasoning for it was very different whereas mine is very like political like let's just dismantle the concept of whiteness in general Um but I still you know pin Irish is how I identify I think naturally my life I've been surrounded by more um, Filipino friends and mixed friends and mixed yeah, just a, most of my friends are mixed. So I think the way that I move around is more Asian-American. Um, also, I would give some of that to just a, that I was raised by an Asian mother. And sure. I think that that being raised by her primarily made me identify more with the culture, the food. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a birth worker. So I a lot of the ways that I care for my clients are mm-hmm. through like – Asian, I guess, perspectives and, like, healing philosophies, including Chinese, because my Filipino side does have Chinese ancestry. Um, But... Yeah, I have a very mixed identity and I'm very comfortable now just being like, yeah, I'm all the things. I don't yeah. say half th- this, half that yeah. anymore. I think that's a really important conversation that got more popular the last few years that mm-hmm. I'm really grateful for was that validation. And I'm sure your your show I'm like that has that too, yeah. yeah, like had a influence in there that's like, we are all these things. Like I am fully this, I am fully that. Um and then I am a really spiritual person that's been on this path of connecting with my ancestors that you know feeling that from them and feeling that like strong cultural like connection so deeply has been really validating too that I don't have to pick. And in the last year, this like kind of co like collided with everything. I met three other filipino and irish specifically people and like they just we walked into each other's lives and i was like whoa and seeing the similarities of the cultures yeah. even seeing the similarities of just like so many things i have this other theory that i won't get into but i have a theory around southeast asia and like celtic cultures there's some Mm -hmm. kind of connection because the the folklore and the the, there's so many weird similarities but i won't go down that road
0: well i like to i i i I, there's something there i do agree because whether or not this is an accurate way of describing them you think of the celts as like the indigenous people of those those islands yeah um because once the anglos came in there was domination, there were like all the same things that happened to brown places that white people getting on boats did happen to Irish people, Scottish people, Welsh people. Like the same things yeah. were happening. Um so I do I agree there's something there's some shared uh ancestral type of behaviors yeah. and things I think are going over there. Um it's it's It doesn't happen to me often, but when you can meet somebody that has your same mix, there is something kind of extra special than to just meet mixed people in general. Although meeting mixed people in general is great and it's helpful because you're like, I don't have to explain what I'm talking about. You already get what I'm talking about. Um, but it is, there is something, you know, kind of nice. Yeah, I didn't think
1: it would be as exciting as it was. It is, though, Like yeah. I said, I think I kind of suppressed a lot of that for myself. Mm. I was like, I don't need that. I'm me. Mm. Like, I have my siblings that get it. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it has been special. Yeah.
0: And I, I agree with the validating part of it because, like, my brother and I grew up in the same house. And although we don't identify um, publicly the same Oh, you know, we aligned with different parts of our of our heritage and stuff like that. There's things that he and I would share that it's fine. It's like we're families, whatever. But if I had to meet somebody out in the wild and they're like, oh, this happens to me when I combine this Japanese food with this black food or something like that. And, you know, we have we have that shared that there's like it it's way more. Validating to have that to find that in the wild than to find it in your own family, I think.
1: Yeah, for totally some reason,
0: for some reason. Um, can I ask about your as a birth worker? And as a person of color? And as coming from a culture that is sort of known more for like caretaking and things like that? Do, how does that play out? If it's okay to ask? How does that play out in, in the work that you do? with mm. um, With mothers from different backgrounds?
1: That's such a great question because actually the first thing that comes to mind was that in the beginning of being a birth worker, I think my mom and my aunties were very confused because I was seeing it as this, like, I wasn't seeing it as being another Filipino caregiver um and I think their reactions in the beginning were like what is like what are you not like about this you know why is this like not interesting to you because I thought like this is so cool I'm learning our birth traditions um and then realizing that that was like oh my gosh we came all the way here for you to be like an in-home worker
0: um and
1: there's like a shame to that and I my mom and I actually got into a little like she's constant was constantly like well, are you gonna go to nursing school? Like be a nurse, be a nurse, be a nurse. And I finally said to her, like, do you realize how much I love my job and like the impact that I'm making that I share with you? I'm really proud of this job. And I think that I real I didn't really, it didn't really click to me that I was a Filipino woman that chose to be like an in-home caregiver, which gave me this, um, one, it clicked of why I was led to it because I think that that's part of my practice is trying to bring a lot of pride back to a lot of dignity, I would say, actually bringing the dignity back to being a caregiver. Um, Irish people too have like a lot of stereotype about being nurses and stuff, mm, so it's really true. I, yeah, yeah, I didn't really think about that before, but to your question of like, was it how, what it's like to like
0: when you're when you're caring for people from different backgrounds? Um, oh. I, I've had a few. Um, yeah, like, uh, folks that have been on the show where they've talked about like if they if if they're caring for a black person and they are a mixed black person, the relief that the mother experiences knowing oh someone mm-hmm. who kind of is like me is in in care. Yeah. Like, like, oh, are yes. You experiencing a version of that like depending on the backgrounds that people are coming from. You being specifically a non-obvious white presenting person, would that be helpful in in your practice?
1: Yeah. So, okay. So yes, now I, I really appreciate that question because in the beginning, when I began my practice, especially somewhere like the Bay Area where there's a lot of wealthy people and I'm picking between, you know, the full paying client and then the clients that are my peers who are not the people who can afford usually, um, the love the full price. That was really hard for me in the beginning to not be so selective about now I'm very selective actually of who I work for. I only work for either personal friends, Asian clients, or non-white and not explicitly, but I don't, it's not like on my website, like I'm not going to work with whatever. Cause I do have clients of all backgrounds, but I'm very bold about my values. Make sure they look at my Instagram and see like what I'm about. Because there were times in the beginning where I worked with families that did just treat me like the help. Right. And it did feel very just degrading about like giving me all these insights of like, wow, like you don't really care to know much about the person that you're trusting with your baby every night for the first few months. Like, yeah, very fascinating. I'm like, whoa, like that has never occurred to me, like working with different families. And I actually don't work with, unless they're my personal friends, I actually don't work with black birthing people anymore either. um, Because I will refer them to a black birth worker that will be closer in. So in the beginning I did, and also it's, you know, what's available in the Bay area. I still like, if there's a shortage of people finding that person um, I will, but over time I realized like, wow, people really deserve one, somebody that they can connect with in these vulnerable moments, but also um, somebody that, at least is trying to, to get your culture. So it's been, most of my clients now are Asian American women. Um, I also say, I don't, I haven't worked with any trans birthing people because same kind of thing. I'm going to pair, refer them to a trans birth worker or somebody who specializes and gets those experiences more. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, Being in that position with my identity, I think people appreciate having because, you know, a lot of people, their biggest concern going in, like, I have a lot of people come to me saying, like, I don't want a white person with me. They don't want to be in their labor and be triggered by some accidental cultural, like, microaggression Even just like the image sometimes of seeing people. So, I do find that a lot of people really, really seek out birth workers that match their identities because. Especially during the pandemic, a lot of people who normally would have their families or their moms, like if they're not local, have their mom or grandma fly in and stay with them for those first couple months. And that was kind of taken away. The next best thing is somebody that's like as close as possible to the culture that they identify with. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm really grateful over time that I've been able to discern more who I work with. Um, because there's such a divide in the birth work community of people who think it's elite and hired help Mm -hmm. because there have been those families who hired me because they're like, well, the nurses don't really tend to us much. So they want just like a servant on hand there. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is a privilege to be able to like say no, not really a privilege because it's not like I made like it's not like I really had the money to not. But I chose that like that integrity for me was more important than just getting people's money.
0: And over time, you'll be a better person for the families you do work with because you're not always having to process that. those Yeah. And those, you know.
1: Totally. Because I have had my own birth experience, my own abortion experience where there was some discrimination toward me um, and some, I won't say out, it wasn't like overtly, but there were just things that were really off about it that I'm susceptible to having my own. And that is what I experienced watching these births and watching how these people care for their children and like my own personal feelings. It's just like, oh my God, this is so like, you know, white culture is like what dominant white, like waspy culture. It's really not loving toward, toward it's there's a yeah. loss of empathy, at uh, least. Uh, yes. Um, and that's embedded in just white supremacist culture, I think. Is it, like you really see it around birth the choices that people make, the way they treat their help, the way that they make their plans for their babies those first couple months. Like, don't allow them in the room, don't allow, like. Yeah, it it does. I, I I'm seeing now as I move forward into the next year of how I still want to um, find a way that meets my that honors my own needs. That I still work with white families around this stuff because I think it is important, and I don't want to leave. I do think I have a personal responsibility as a like white perceived person. Um, not responsibility, opportunity. I think I have an opportunity where I'm, I'm heard a lot of times by white families and can bridge that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm finding ways that I can still make an impact, but it's not going to be the same as it was before in their homes every night. Cause it did feel degrading after a while.
0: No, yeah, I can imagine. No, I appreciate you answering that. Cause I, um, me choosing not to, to be a mother um, of, human children, I guess. Uh, I one of the the relief, one of the biggest reliefs of my recent medical life is starting to have black and Asian um, doctors and nurses and being Mm. able to choose that because of the location that I'm in. um, I have that opportunity. And the relief, I feel in going to the actually the, the the amount of times I go to the doctor now actually increases because I feel more comfortable with the person that is taking care of me in those moments and that they have a, an awareness of what I say, um, I'm both black and Asian, I need to be checking for the things that affect, you know, ser- you know, yeah. black people and stuff. And, and finally having the doctors who stop and listen to those things, like the impact I've experienced, and I'm not doing anything nearly as dramatic as entrusting the life of this thing I've been growing. You know like i can't imagine being very dismissive about something that came out of my body you know like it it just Mm -hmm. and of course i'm not choosing to to be a mother so i i i know i don't have the the right context to be able to talk about it beyond just like understanding that ethnically i would appreciate someone who matches in some way shape or form because i think there's a level of comfort and empathy that goes there
1: yeah Um, doulas literally exist too i think be that bridge for that like there's just such a gap there and cl- like one culturally competent care is lacking Two, like continuity of the care is lacking and like having that relationship so it has it really like it really is I feel really honored to be invited in those spaces and right. and I see my whiteness come into play as an advantage. And I don't know a client has told me this, but sometimes I wonder, I'm like, oh, maybe they, like, I, I wouldn't be offended or surprised if that was a plus side to some of my, like, not mixed with white at all clients wanting me as a mixed person because doctors, and it also comes with, like, the way I present myself, the way I speak, that Doctors will listen to me when they feel unheard and that I'm there to observe and take notes and Mm. uh, knowing that there is this kind of like sort of white presence that has an eye on them that they, whether subconsciously or not, respect more or... Um, puts them a little, like perks them up a little yeah, more like, okay, there's sense. somebody here that's kind of keeping an eye. Um, so I hadn't really thought of that before, but I, I think it does come into play in this work um, the way that I'm received when I'm at the hospital with my clients.
0: Yeah. The, the way in which we can, whether or not it's problematic is a different story, but to, to utilize the palatableness that comes along with being a mixed person in some spaces (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) all the commas all the commas um to be able to use that as as a way to improve the situation for your clients i think is is a really great way to to work that in um in the versus just like accepting the palatability status like okay it's just the way it is i'm just gonna but this is like an active way to be able to utilize i think that i think that's well brilliant if you if you can thread that line with people, and I c- would completely understand why a person of color would choose a mixed with white person because you're like a translator. Yeah, you could, you could be like a translator depending on yeah. your, your background too. Um, no, I think that's brilliant. Thank you for sharing that with me because I was I was curious. <laughs> like I wrote it down when um, when you first said that I was like, oh, gonna, let's get into that question really. Later. Um, We are coming a little bit close to the end of this, though. So one of the things that I do like to ask all of the people that um, I speak with, because sometimes we do talk about trauma and difficulties related to our mixedness. uh, What is something that you love most about being mixed?
1: Mm, I think being mixed. I love. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is I love the food of having a mixed family because our parties always have. All types of food, and it's never, never bland around here. (laughs) Um, That's probably my favorite part. But I also love, like, I love the perspective that I'm able to bring to spaces, and over time, I have really come to see that as a personal superpower, this ability to shift and kind of glide between and observe and offer insight that people may either not have considered being in the spaces where maybe they don't know a person of colors in the room and being that person that does speak out. I really do love being able to use my my privilege or identity in a way that can offer expansion of a conversation or expansion of thinking. And I think that is that's a role that I used to be forced into that now I'm really embracing as a strength. Um, mm-hmm. that I can kind of push push the boundaries a little bit um and offer that in a way, and like you said, like not wielding it like, in in an entitled way but it is kind of fun to push the limits a little bit and I feel a little bit of safety in my ambiguity um, where people relate to me enough to form a little bit more understanding and empathy Mm -hmm. and kindness in some ways which is fucked up but I think I that is my favorite thing that I that I love about my positioning is that I get people to consider other things that they may not in a way that's kind of safe for them because I still do it with a lot of love and still do it from a place that's like I'm different but I'm also reaching out and connecting with you because we're the same but we're different and I'm going to let you know why that's a good thing so
0: right I appreciate that since you did bring up food though do you have a hybrid food that mixes (laughs) your
1: I don't have a particular Irish. one, but I, when I remember when I was in middle school, one of my AIM screen names was Corn Beef Lumpia. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. I never actually made it, though, so <laughs> now <laughs> I'm going to have to. Um, our holiday meals are always automatically hybrid because mm-hmm. we, we bring in, you know, my mom will just be like this needs rice so right. any kind of like gravy irish stew actually that would be a hybrid meal in my yeah, house that's... would be like the irish stew but eating it with rice but
0: with rice which would be perfect because well i mean i'm thinking about it as like japanese cut like japanese yeah japanese yeah rice. it would be like that but with rice no that's brilliant so that's another kink of mine is fine is learning new uh <laughs> another kink, uh is learning new hybrid foods that people can try. For like for me, I don't necessarily have like what I like is like I like fried chicken. It's fine. But I love Japanese fried chicken because it's a combination of the two things that, you know, from from my culture. So it's not necessarily like the whole meal itself is is a hybrid but just the the act I guess of with
1: eating. some gravy that's a have you ever had Jollibee? Mm-hmm. Jollibee jolly bee fried chicken with the gravy that's a little hybridy of them yeah a little
0: hybridy, a little bit hybrid-y. yeah no that <laughs> works um yeah so that's cute well thank you so much for for joining me and sharing your story with me um i i think adding the perspective, which which I've only been able to share on the show a few times with uh, birth workers and, you know, the impact I think is very important to share as well. So thank you for talking about that with me a little bit as well. Uh, Do you want to tell people how to find you. Do you want to connect on the social media?
1: Sure. Thank you. Yeah. So my Instagram is at Siobhan.Dioris. You'll probably need to look at the notes for how to spell all of that, (laughs) but I am a birth worker doing a lot of online spaces as well, helping people um, and be embodied as parents. I'm actually shifting away from attending births and postpartums due to a my marriage separation just changing my my son's needs and being more present with him and not on call so i'm gonna be doing a lot of online spaces for single parents for co-parenting for energy work i i play in the space the intersection of politics spirituality and science so that's my approach and if that resonates with you then reach out okay thank
0: you for sharing it Militantly Mixed is a Main Hustle Media podcast, produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by David Bogan The One. You can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. If you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash militantly mixed for monthly sponsorship or paypal.me slash militantly mixed for a one-time only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed-ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.